Welcome to Changing the Game, the podcast which will bring to you stories of people who are disrupting the status quo via innovation and diversity. And each episode will delve into the unique stories of leaders in several industries, from investors to founders and everyone in between. You will gain invaluable insights and strategies from awesome individuals who are pushing the boundaries, raising funds and making a difference. Join us as we explore the ever-changing world of entrepreneurship and everything that comes with it. Changing the Game is powered by Vichy Ventures, the venture partners that dare the founders to aim for the extraordinary and is nurturing the innovation ecosystem with one million seeds. So, subscribe now and don't miss the next episode of Changing the Game. Welcome everyone. I'm here for another episode of Changing the Game today with Rabi Gay, a very good friend of mine, a friend that I just made uh, six weeks ago. We have been through a program here at Stanford University. So, and she was very kind to accept my invitation to talk with us at Changing the Game. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Super excited <laughs> to Thank have you. this conversation with you. Very good. So I mentioned to uh, Rabi that one of the things that we do first is uh, is an open question like, uh, Rabi, who are you? Who is who is the person? Who is Rabi? <sighs> Rabi, who is she? Um, I, I, I'm many things. <laughs> uh, I am the CEO of a nonprofit in, in Senegal called Teach for Senegal. I am an educator. I am an entrepreneur, a mother, most recently became a mother, um, a wife, and, and, a, and a daughter. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's a great introduction. <laughs> Teach for Senegal, so I guess we're going to end up talking about that. But tell me a little bit more uh, from your upbringing, where, where you grew up and how was your childhood and etc. Yeah. yeah, so my childhood is a bit of, uh, started in Senegal, in northern Senegal, a place called uh, Podor. And uh, living in Podor was amazing. I grew up Grew up in a large family, a large Fulani family. That's the tribe that I belong to. Um, grew up in a farm, farming community. I was a very curious, adventurous kid. Loved being outdoors. So I lived in Podor for uh, until I was seven years old. Um, but then there became a border dispute between the neighboring country of Mauritania, which led my family and I to move to the U.S. And I... That's where we began our life as refugees in the U.S. in Phoenix, Arizona, at the age of seven. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, good. So nice. Uh, nice to be talking with you. So, uh, you, you know, the combination of your of your career to to the point where you are now is to work for a not for profit. Yeah. Uh, back in Africa. So, what? How? How that happened? What led to that? Yeah, um, so I, I operate from a from a place of purpose. Uh, I think at a very early age, my parents instilled in us the, the need to serve others, especially those in your community. Like, you can do well, but, um, you know, you should also bring your community along with you. So I, that, that's kind of the lens of the, the, the way I, I approached life. 
Um, but I, you know, ended up going to school in the U.S., did all my studies here. Um, I studied at Arizona State University. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer just because of my experience in, in being refugee. And so I wanted to do, like, human rights law and, you know, thought I could tackle uh, issues of inequity that way. But I started to focus more on the nonprofit side. Um, when I became a teacher uh, after I graduated at Arizona State, I was teaching in, in South Phoenix, which are very, is a very rough area. And I started to look at how I can serve at the grassroots level because that's where I thought more impact could be made in terms of inequity and just justice. So I think, after, I think becoming a teacher uh, and also just my life experiences of being a refugee, growing up with an illiterate mother, led me to do more nonprofit work. Um, so, yeah. So, so that that story. So, I was going to ask, you know, what made you, you know, how was the decision to choose a university or a yeah. course? So, you did you did mention that you choose to do law, mm-hmm. uh, and was connected to that sort of, uh, you know, doing human rights role. Uh, yeah. connected to uh, my upbringing and etc so w- was that an easy decision so you always knew what you wanted to do um <laughs> no <laughs> i grew up with a lot of siblings and they would always say that i was like very uh argumentative uh and like i i was a fighter like anytime i'm and i also questioned rules a lot and so they would be like oh you'd be great in law and so I just thought law, my desire for justice, I'm like, surely if I wanted to like make an impact, maybe law policy is the way to go. So a little bit of just like what people would say about me and also just like what I was passionate about, I thought law would be. And also I just thought lawyers were amazing. Very nice. So yeah, that's what led me to do law. But then you mentioned that you finished school, finished school of law and went to teach yeah so did you practice law at all no so i actually studied like i was in the political science major and global studies major in undergrad and so i applied to law schools and was considering going to law school but it was my experience in that time of going to law school and teaching that kind of changed my trajectory and made me shift to nonprofit. um because I part of my undergrad, I had to study abroad, so I did some stuff in India, um, where I taught in the slums, and then I also had to go back to Senegal, and I had to work in with rural communities in Senegal. So it's my first time going back in over like twenty years. So these experiences um, led me to focus more on education. Um, I thought that 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 and helped me narrow down Very from nonprofit cool. to nonprofit education. Very well. nice. So, I don't think you, 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 you told this story to us then, how he led to yeah. teach for Senegal. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I don't think, <laughs> it, it was a, the story of, it's, it's so many things have happened in my life, so it's hard for me to focus, but the story of teach for Senegal, it's a combination, but I would say it was really, um, those moments of transition between undergrad and going to graduate school that changed what, the way I viewed uh, my work and what led to Teach for Senegal. So when I studied abroad in India, I saw, I worked with kids in the slums. I was, I, the only internship that I could get was an education one because nobody wanted to teach. So I was like, fine, I'll do education. 
Um, and that was the same in Senegal too when I applied to do internships. So it just, everything just focused on education. And so um, doing that I've, and, and really being with people who are just coming from the most impoverished communities, I realized um, development or change really has to happen more at the educational level. And so that's where I started to focus on education. I became a teacher. I applied for Teacher America. And my impact in the classroom led me to create a similar model called Teach for Senegal. And then I kind of ran with that idea. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, tell us a little bit more about w what is what is Teach for Senegal? What, what do you do? What the organization does? <laughs> yeah, Teach for Senegal, we, we're a young organization, but we're really focused on uh, reimagining education in Senegal. Um, uh, through with the work of young people and, and, and local communities. We really want to change at, both at the systems level but at the, at the local level uh, what it means to be educated in Senegal and how we educate kids. So we work with rural communities throughout Senegal and northern Senegal specifically where we work and we um, recruit, uh, select, and place young committed individuals in uh, what we call community schools. Um, and these community Montessori schools are developed by um, Teach for Senegal and our fellows. Um, so these fellows are asked to commit a minimum of uh, two years, but it can go up to three, to serve in their communities as a Montessori guides um, in these community schools that have we've built. Um, so. so you mentioned about Montessori, so, uh, and I remember that I saw you speaking before, I remember you mentioned that uh, was that a uh, was that a particular reason why you choose the uh, ed education model of Montessori yeah. and yeah yeah so when we when I started teach for Senegal and we when I looked at the educational system in, in Senegal it, it's a colonial one it's a French system really not meant to produce critical thinkers uh, you know entrepreneurs all those skill sets that are needed in everyday life mm. it wasn't created to do that. It was a system to maintain control. So I knew that I could not just recruit, select, and train teachers to work in that same system. That would just kind of perpetuate yeah. that system of inequity. So I wanted to figure out what is an indigenous model that, that what is a model that is indigenous to Senegalese African people? Because uh, the way we view children is very sacred, and we view them as independent uh, creatures who, who are capable of you know, di dictating what their own learning. And so monetary education was a methodology that is well-renowned um, that was mimicked a lot of indigenous African beliefs. And so we decided to, to, to do a monetary methodology, uh, a contextualized one, because um, that's what we view as education in, in, in our communities. So. Very nice. So, uh we, I never, I never been in Senegal, so mm -hmm. I, I, I never been uh, mainland Africa, uh, by the way. So it's a place that I would love to go. You have to come to Senegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a place that I would love to go. Uh, and you know, for the reasons of life, so I might have that sort of bias uh, view of what it looks like. So can you, can you, can you give me a flavor of? Uh, who are the kids or what are the conditions and how they live so so you can kind of try to picture that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Africa has always been seen as a dark continent. And the only times you do see of it is either 
very glamorous or very poor. So mm. um, I can totally understand why. Um, the communities that are in, in the context of Senegal, we, you know, we are a civilized country. We've never had a civil war. Um, very peaceful people. Um, uh, but we are a fairly young nation. We gained independence in 1960, so we still have a lot of growth to do in, t- in terms of development. But there is a lot of international interference or inter- like, you know, we don't have the greatest politicians and no. all of that stuff that, uh, you know, undermine the development of our country. But in terms of the young people, we have a fairly young population. I think 60% of our population is under the age of 25. Uh, and we're about 17 million. Um, oh, wow. Africa's population in general is fairly long. I, I believe, if I correctly, 60% is under the age of 35 in Africa. Um, and so we are a fairly young country um, with, a, with the, the spirit of, of development, the spirit of creativity, um, yeah. and, and the need to, like, we want to step out of those stereotypes. There's so much about our culture, our languages that is so rich yeah. um, that I feel like the outside world does not see because yeah. Africa. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, um, I confess that I'm, I'm a bit ignorant, so I'm, 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 I'm ashamed. Uh, so I don't know how familiar you are, but Brazil has a very strong influence of Senegal. Really? Uh, unfortunately, the initial immigration to Brazil wasn't for the right reasons. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Uh, but with the time, so uh, you know, the African black people got a, a very strong uh, influence in the Brazilian culture. You mm. see the dance, in the yes, in the, in the food, yeah. it's everywhere. So, uh, it's a place that you can feel that very well. Yeah. So, um, tell me one thing. So. Uh, just out of curiosity, so you're changing the game. So the reason why we started is because we, well, the name is about the people that are changing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I changed the game with the eyes of a little bit of uh, adversity. So, so people that, uh, you know, you would expect the changes to come from people potentially like me, like you. Yeah. So, and eventually we try to do the best we can and, and, and influence there. So we, when, when, we, when we talk about why we're doing it, we talk about diversity, we talk about innovation, we talk about education. So it's pretty funny that yes. you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and we met here at Stanford, right? So uh, big ago. privilege, <laughs> I guess. Big privilege, I guess. So what, what took you here? Yeah, what, t- what brought me to Stanford? Um, a lot of reasons. I um, one of the reasons was you know I had launched Teach for Senegal at a very young age. I mean I'm still fairly young, but I had launched it fresh out of college, and we have been able to have such an impact in Senegal. And we're at a point where we wanted to scale, and we wanted to you know figure out how can we you know have this throughout the rest of Senegal and rest of Africa. And so I was con- I'm trying to figure out. You know, do I need to go back to schooling? Do I need to learn more about business? And uh, a group of uh, SCP, a Stanford um, executive alumni, reached out to me and said there was a great project uh, program here at Stanford. Um, we would love for you to attend and we'll, we'll pay. Um, and so they're the ones that brought me here, the uh, SCP Alumni Foundation. And it's a really helped me not only spread the word about what we were doing in Teach for Senegal, to learn from executives who have been doing 
this for or have been working in the corporate sector for over 20 years. Um, but to, to give a bit of a perspective from the nonprofit side. Um, so I guess what brings me to SEP is both for personal growth, how do I grow personally, but professionally, how do I create a scalable model? How do I share our impact? Um, and how do I work with corporate leaders to design a more sustainable model so that we can scale um, throughout Senegal? Very nice. So congratulations on your scholarship. <laughs> so six six weeks later, then you know we we finishing the course. Yes. So uh, one of the interesting things is uh, here we study a lot about uh, uh, ventures, right? So ventures and startups and entrepreneurs, and we talk about venture capital and etc. Yeah. So you are an entrepreneur. Interesting enough, so you, you, you are venturing in this space of so social impact, yes. which when we talk to uh, you know, young people, you know, it's, it's a big, it's, I think there is a big fire in the young people to, to do something yeah. in that space. Mm -hmm. But we all know that it's not as easy, right? So uh, here in Stanford, we talk about entrepreneurs and venture capital. So venture capital not necessarily fun funding the social enterprise. Yeah. How, how, how is that journey of uh, living every day in a social enterprise and finding funding and finding a sustainable model? How, how, how is that? Yeah, I think, uh, it, I will admit, it is it's very difficult to, especially on the nonprofit social impact side, because you have to convince people that um, other people's lives matter, um, that the profit is not necessarily money, but saving and impacting um, people's lives. And that's all lovey-dovey, but that's not what a lot of people want to hear. Some people want their returns, they are looking to increase revenue. And so in the nonprofit side, it is difficult to have to, um, you know, m I don't necessarily have a tangible product. My product is my fellows and the impact. Um, and so pitching is difficult because either the somebody is emotionally attached to your cause and is willing to donate or they're, or they're not. Um, so I, I, I guess for me, it has been difficult. And also when you work in Africa, it's like there's a million people out there. There's a million issues in Africa. Like, like what, how do we know that you'll make an impact? Um, so just having people believe in your mission and willing to invest and know that you know they might not see the returns or the impact until 20, 30 years, I might not see it, um, but it will be there. And so it's it's that, it's people having faith in you and willing to, to give you that funding, uh, which can be hard in a day that is very much about capital and material um, wealth in, in a very self-centered world, unfortunately. So it is difficult um, when it comes to fundraising, but you find those little gems of people who are willing to invest in you, um, in your community and, and you know, that's what keeps you going. <laughs> what what is what is what is the best thing about it? I don't know. Maybe uh, what have you been seeing in the kids you teach, and what what is that? What is that make you passionate about the project? I think my question is obvious, but let's see. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it it is it's 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 what keeps me going. I think what it is is just knowing that you literally have changed the trajectory of someone's life just by simply 
providing them access to a quality education or just my fellows giving them the opportunity to serve in their communities. These are young people, like unemployment is so high in, in Africa and in Senegal specifically. So the fact that I'm recruiting these young people and saying, I believe that you can change your community um, and I trust you with that. Here is, I will cover your salary. I will cover your training. I just want you to focus on the impact. That says a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And that for people who have been forgotten and who uh, go day to day trying to figure out how will they make ends meet. And um, so just that little impact, it, it's a lot. Um, and it's what keeps me going. Um, and it's, yeah, it's. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting when I, maybe we can have a, a question more uh, in your hope for Africa, I guess. So we have been talking about the world and, and innovation, and we have been seeing that developing countries have uh, some negative growth in terms of population. So, you know, that every, uh, every two people have in general less than two children. And that's happening the whole development world it has happening as well and china now has a policy to try to grow how to try to get the second child after they had to control population and and africa the reality is still the other one you mentioned a number of you know the majority of the population is still young mm -hmm. there is a scenario where potentially the world will be aging while africa will be young so do you see that as an opportunity for Africa? Uh, 100%. I think, mm. I think the world underestimates Africa. Um, and for a really long time, this stereotype was like, we Africans have too many kids and they don't, they lack education. They're just uncivilized. But there's really a spiritual element to having kids in Senegal and in Africa. And that's just the fact that they are the future and they're gifts by God. And so, with us having a young population, um, I think that that puts us at a huge advantage in terms of creativity, in terms of business, in terms of just the future. If you look at it, China um, had that economic advantage and now Africa will have that demographic advantage. Well, people will be looking for labor, people will be looking for creativity, people will be looking for innovation. Absolutely. And that's usually within young people. And so we will have that. And we will have the labor force. We will have the creative thinkers. We will have these startups, the next, I don't know, Facebook. All of that will be coming out of Africa. And so I think um, that's why a lot more focus should be in Africa and making sure that we prepare the next generation and equip them with the skills they need to lead um, in a way that is very conscious, in a way that is very selfless, uh, in a way that is harmonious within the environment as well. Um, so that's why for me education is very important because you can have a young population that is dumb and mm. don't have necessarily this, I hate to use the word dumb, but dumb in a sense that they don't have the skills they need or they don't have the, the harmony that they need to have with the environment so that we can tackle things such as environmental issues and stuff like that. Um, but education is key in making sure that that yeah, economic absolutely. advantage is there, um, that young population, population advantage is taking place. Absolutely, I love the passion. So <laughs> uh, look, uh, how, how 
we're going to have an audience watching an episode of Changing the Game. So if anyone uh, look at, you know, hear your story and say, oh, that's awesome. So how can we help? Uh, there are so many ways to help. One of the biggest ways to help is, of course, donate. We're such a young organization, and we function solely on fundraising and the donations that we receive online by individuals. So you, they can visit our website at teachvoiceandalcohol.org and vo- donate there. I'm available on all platforms. So um, LinkedIn is usually where a lot of people reach out to me, LinkedIn um, and uh, Facebook and Instagram at Robbie Gates. Um, so... People always shoot me messages asking how they can help. We ed- enjoy consulting since we're such an, a small organization. Any support that we can get in terms of consulting, advising is always much appreciated as well. <laughs> Very nice. Tim, have you had time to reflect on the six weeks we had here at school and you know, you going back to normal life? And what do you what do you think is gonna you know your, your yes. first hundred days back to work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely still need to process a lot that has happened here, um, but I definitely have have learned a lot um, in terms of just myself, but also just uh, about you know how to structure the organization the way that it works for us because I think there's like a traditional way an organization should operate. And it doesn't necessarily need to work for us. So there's going to be a lot of restructuring, but also just like how we tell our story, how we cultivate donors, how we operate in terms of sustainability. So there's a lot of that that's going to be going to take back with me. So Very nice. <laughs> I want to touch on another thing as well. So yeah, you, I think you are the youngest of our class, right? So yes. for you, 23? <laughs> no. I am the youngest. Uh, it is an executive program, and I am 29. I'm the youngest here. Oh, man, that's beautiful. <laughs> so, and of course, we got, you know, to get in the class, we got to be friends and etc. And I know you have a, a young daughter, right? Yes, six months old. <laughs> so you have been with her around. So how is that thing about how, you know, the whole thing about, uh, you know, women at work and the whole diversity inclusion sort of uh, conversation that that's uh, that's relevant uh, and I see I see from the outside you like as a this warrior you know and, <laughs> and, 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 and embracing it and having the challenges of having a six month old little daughter and you know in, in mid class and doing what the mom needs to do so how, how do you think that impacts you and what, what yeah, yeah, how do you see that? Yeah, so be, I, before I answer, I just want to say one of our core values at Teach for Senegal is come as you are. So anywhere I go, I, I, ha, I show up as who I am, um, despite what other people might think. And part of me um, is being a mother now. And so uh, I wanted to show up to SEP as myself. And that is that I have a six-month-old. Um, and allowing myself to show up as myself gives others the, 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 the chance to as well. And so, yeah, I have a six-month-old. It has not been easy. But I'm very, very thankful that I have an amazing, uh, supportive family that is literally willing to drop anything to help with my, my daughter, uh, my, my board, who, you know, raised the capital to make sure that I 
had a comfortable place to stay and had a car and all that stuff. So I have an amazing support system, but I think um, motherhood does not stop. <laughs> so, um, you know, we ha I have to be mother 24-7, seven days a week. And so, um, you know, as leaders, I think we need to take that to consideration. So I create a, a structure that works for me and it might not work for other people and they might not like it, but it works for me and it allows me to be a mother that is present. And so sometimes I have to leave class 10 minutes early so I can go, you know, take care of her. Uh, and sometimes I have to like skip class, but it does not mean that I don't value or appreciate um, this program. It's just, um, I'm a mother all the time. I'm not necessarily, I'm not always gonna be a CEO. I'm not always gonna be um, an SEP, uh, Stanford student. So, but I will always be a mother. And so I just have to put that at the forefront, but we just have to create a space for mothers to, operate where they don't feel like they are missing out where they can um, be themselves and right? they can be themselves and show up as they are so <laughs> i think that's something that's very important very nice uh ravi uh again and and i insist uh, i only know you for six weeks but has been a tremendous pleasure to uh <laughs> to share the class with you to get to know you so uh you Tremendous inspiration. So, thank you. I'm very grateful that you accept, uh, you know, the invitation to spend half an hour with us. So, believe you or not, that that's it. Half an hour is gone. I, I know. <laughs> I was like, wait, half an hour is gone by. It's been a yeah, nice conversation. No, it, it fly by. <laughs> so, I'd love to. Uh, we always finish with this uh, feeling of, uh, oh no, 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 we want to hear more. Yeah. So. Uh, Look, we we, uh, we have a restart. We're going to part ways and go back to our yeah. homes. And I hope we will see each other in the future. So now I have, you know, a good day. I had reasons to visit mainland Africa before, so now I have a few more. Okay. So with you and the other friends and, and, and the class that we have as well. Yeah. So I wish very well Thank for you, you, your baby, and teach for Senegal. Yes, thank you so much, and thank you for having me, and I appreciated getting to know you and learn from you this last six weeks, so definitely we'll be uh, keeping in touch if I'm in Australia or Brazil. Very good. <laughs> so everyone, this is Rabi. Thank you very much for listening or watching to one more episode. So I'll see you later in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Game. We hope you enjoy learning about the unique journeys of our guests and the valuable insights they share on diversity and innovation in business. Remember to keep following your passions and never be afraid to think differently and challenging the status quo. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and follow us on social media for more inspiring stories and valuable information on startups, investments, and entrepreneurship. And Special thanks to our partner Vichy Ventures for powering this show. Changing the game is powered by Vichy Ventures, the venture partner that dares founders aim for the extraordinary and will nurture the innovation ecosystems of 1 million seeds. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the show on your preferred podcast platform. It will help us to grow and to make sure more people get access to the valuable information and inspiration we share on changing the game. Thanks for listening.